Welcome to the Daily Office Lectionary. I'm Father Reed. This week, we're going to look at Proper 11. Now, how did we get to Proper 11? Remember, I've been telling you that we have two six-month seasons in our liturgical calendar for the lectionary readings. We have the season from Advent to Pentecost, and then we have the season of Pentecost. Now, remember, Advent, late November or early December, preparation for Christ's coming, Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, Lent, and then we celebrate Easter, the resurrection of Christ. And then we celebrate Pentecost, the day of Pentecost. It's literally called the day of Pentecost. And after the day of Pentecost, that Sunday, that week that we celebrate Pentecost, we have the first Sunday after Pentecost. Now, that's also called Trinity Sunday, which we celebrated several weeks ago. Trinity Sunday. Now, at the end of this second half of the season, it's called the last Sunday after Pentecost, and that's also called Christ the King Sunday. So it's interesting that the first Sunday after Pentecost has a name, Trinity Sunday, and the last Sunday after Pentecost has a name, Christ the King Sunday. Now, in between there, we refer to them through propers. And as I explained several weeks ago, this has to do with the movable uh, nature of the day of Pentecost and all of the dates. It's all uh, transpires around the season of Easter, and that has to do with when Easter day is going to be. All right. So in the second half of the church calendar, the season of Pentecost, it's very predictable, and what the writers uh, and the folks that set up these um, readings, these biblical readings, uh, we could study something for a fairly long period of time. Now, we're still doing the same thing with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but we might take a whole section of Acts, which is coming up in the next couple of weeks, or in the uh, Old Testament, we might take up several weeks with Job or several weeks with First Kings or whatever it is. Now, right now, for proper 11, you, will, you and I will be studying Joshua, which is the book of the Bible where Joshua, who is a fabulous protege uh, of Moses, and the uh, leader, the mantle of leadership passes from uh, Moses to Joshua by God's design. This is the end of Deuteronomy. And Joshua's job is to go in and take the land. We'll be starting uh, with Joshua in just a couple of, couple of minutes. And we'll be looking at Joshua 6. We'll look at Joshua 7, 8, 9. And then we skip to Joshua 23. In the New Testament reading, we are still in the book of Romans, one uh, what they call a magisterial uh, epistle, uh, one of the great, if not the greatest, uh, epistle of Paul's, 13. We go from Romans 13 to Romans 14, Romans 15, and we conclude at the end of Romans 15. And then finally, we are in the book of Matthew. Now, we are in the time of the preparation for his death in chapter 26. And then, of course, in chapter 27, we're going to see uh, the scriptures that have to deal with 
the leading up to his death and his crucifixion in chapter 27. And then next week in proper 12, we'll finish it off with his death and his burial and resurrection. So over the, this week, Joshua, Romans, and Matthew. Okay, let's turn to Joshua chapter 6. And again, as I encourage you every week, read the scripture slowly. If you have a study Bible, you can pick up some notes. If you wanted to do some serious work, you can pick up a good commentary to follow the text or just simply read it on your own. Lots of folks just read it because they haven't read the Bible very often, very much. And so just getting used to the language and the flow is very important. Now, Joshua is a history book. It's a history book. Remember, we looked at the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now we're looking at the history books, okay? And that will go from Joshua all the way to Esther. Keep that in mind. Chapter 6. Remember the last week I talked to you about the fall of Jericho when they marched around the city uh, several times on the seventh day. They marched around it seven times. They blew the trumpets and they shouted and the walls came tumbling down. Chapter 6, 15 to 27. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the, seven, in the same manner, except on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet, Joshua commanded the people, Shout, for the Lord has given the city. It's given you the city. The city and all that are in it are devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab, remember Rahab in chapter uh, 2 of um, Joshua. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who were with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things, verse 18, so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Now, when they came in to take a city, as you are reading through the book of Joshua, they, God was very particular about what they were supposed to do when they entered and what they were not supposed to do. And if they did anything that God commanded them not to do, they were in very, very serious trouble. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction, bring disaster on it. See what I mean? Verse 19, all the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into the treasury. Okay, so look at verse 21. It's pretty disturbing. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Very strong. Joshua 6, 15 to 27. And as you read through this, you'll see what God is asking Joshua to do in response to God giving them the city of Jericho. A very, very, very old city. I've been to Jericho. Jericho and my trip, my two trips to Israel. It's a very, very old city and quite extraordinary city. Chapter 7. Now this is titled Achan's Sin. Look at what happened in verse 1. The Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah took some of them and that Lord's anger burned against Israel. This is not good. So we have a situation where now the people, if you look at verses 3, 4, and 5 with me, um, 
the people do not have the Lord's protection. And look at verse 4. 3,000 men went up and they were routed by the men of Ai who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gates. And so Joshua tears his clothes, falls face down, and says, what, what's going on here? And the Lord said to him in verse 11, Israel sinned, they violated my covenant. I commanded you to do a certain thing. You didn't do it. And now I'm not going to protect you. I'm not going to help you. You're on your own. Now that, of course, would be catastrophic for them. And so what happens in chapter 7 is they have stolen, they have lied. Verse uh, Second half of verse 11, they put, put them in with their own uh, possessions. This is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. So consecrate yourselves. Now, the big lesson out of this is when God tells us to do something, as I've said to you the last several weeks, do what he says. You do not want to incur God's wrath. You do not want to incur God's curse. You do not want to incur God's judgment. You do not want to incur suffering and pain in your life needlessly because you and I would sin against the, the Lord. Please do not do that. In chapter 8, we have the destruction of Ai. Ai is the name of that particular town. And he is now going to share with Joshua. He's going to share with Joshua what he wants to destroy and then how he wants his people to act uh, and how he wants to treat them. So please look at that. Verse 30 of chapter 8. Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites. He built it according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses. So he did exactly what he was supposed to do. Very wise to act in that manner. Verse 34. Afterward, Joshua read all the books of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and children and the aliens who lived among them. Joshua was blessed because Joshua did what he was supposed to do. Do what the Lord tells you. Incredibly, this many thousands of years later, do what the Lord tells you. Chapter 9. The Gibeonite deception. Again, I will not go into that in any kind of detail, uh, but what you, again, need to do, do some reading because we've got a lot to cover uh, for this particular uh, time frame, the proper 11, but read that slowly and carefully, and it continues on the same trajectory, okay? And then we look at the sun standing still in chapter 10, it is uh, in chapter 10, it says in verse 12, this is pretty amazing. Actually, people talk about this. Did this happen astronomically? Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, O sun, stand over Gibeon, O moon, over the valley of Ahjon. So the sun stood still, the moon stopped, till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. And so again, there's a lot of complexity to the history books, and it's quite long. So what you want to do is kind of, you want to read through it, What's going on? Who are we fighting against? You might want to consult a, um, a, uh, all right, make sure, Tony, you catch that part right there. Um, so mark that. Uh, I'm trying to think of the word. Uh, no, a study Bible, but there's geography at the end. A map. Okay. 
All right. So make sure that you consult your map in the back of your Bible. All, most every Bible has maps in the back of it so that you can look at all of these places as you're reading through the book of Joshua and you can see where they are. Again, you can use your study Bible. That will help you geographically also. Sometimes there's some archaeology. Very rarely there's geology. But, but, but all, as we work through Joshua and Judges and Kings, it's very important to consult the maps, okay? So you may want to do that. Joshua 23, before we go to Romans, Joshua 23, very quickly. Israel's fair, uh, it, Joshua's farewell to the leaders. After a long time had passed and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then an old and well-advanced in years, verse 1, summoned all of Israel, their elders, their leaders, their judges and officials, and said to them, I am old and well-advanced in years. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord has done to all these nations for your sake. So now we're jumping ahead. So what they're doing is they're skipping all the exploits of and the battles that Joshua had in overcoming his enemies. And remember, the idea was to drive them out so that the Israelites could come and possess the land that God had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Remember when I started talking about Joshua, I said it's the Lord fighting for you. Same principle today. We want God on our side. We want God fighting with us. We want to be following the Lord. We want to be doing what he says so that when we are in a tough spot, we want God on our side. So he says in verse 6 of chapter 23, Be very strong, be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning to the right or the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the name of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them, but you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. So we see the same message replicated from Genesis now to Joshua, and you're going to see this beyond this. It's the same message. Do what God says. Obey the book of the law. Don't turn to the left or the right. Don't associate with the nations among you. Uh, syncretism. Don't bow down to their gods. Romans chapter 13. The book of Romans after the book of Acts. Romans 13, a beautiful um, scripture from 8 to 14. Continue to love one another, verse 8. For he who or she who loves his fellow man or woman has fulfilled the law. We are to love one another. We are to love one another. He says in verse uh, 12, So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. So what he's going to do, as he did in chapter 12 of Romans, he's going to share with us how are we supposed to live. So 13, 14, and 15, how are we supposed to live? How are we supposed to live? And so... He, in chapter 14, we continue on through chapter 14. If we live, verse 8, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. So in the present state we are in now, we are alive. But when we die, we pass from this life to the next. So we transition from being alive in the Lord to transitioning to being our body dead, but our spirit alive, right? So we're going to heaven, and so we're going to be with the Lord there too. So in the present case, place that you are in right now, if you are a Christian person and following Christ, you are presently, eternally saved and you have, there's an eternal or should be an eternal perspective to where you are. So again, when you pass away, your body stops working, then you pass to the next life, but your soul 
continues on. Okay, it's it has an eternal quality to it. We will all stand before the judgment seat. Verse 12, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Each of us, himself, herself, we're all going to stand before God. We're all going to give an account. You want to be ready for that. This is one of the highlights of doing this lectionary reading and reading through these scriptures. Think about where you are before the Lord. Think about what your relationship with God is like. Think about a need perhaps for repentance. Think about what possibly needs to be changed in your life if it's not according to the word of the Lord. Again, you can look at Joshua. You can look at it in Romans. You can look at it in Matthew. It's, it's working through uh, the scriptures. It's quite amazing how that happens. So we look at the second half of 14, the kingdom of God. I love this verse. Verse 17 is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Again, we're back to how are you going to live? What's going to be your attitude? How are you going to carry yourself? And so 12, 13, 14, and 15 are meeting those needs, sharing with, meeting the needs by telling you and me what is it God expects of us now that we believe and we are following Christ. Because anyone, verse 18, who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. God will be pleased if you do the first half uh, of 17. You do verse 17. He will be pleased. He tells you that in verse 18. Chapter 15, he continues on. May the God, verse 5, who gives endurance and encouragement, give you a spirit of unity among yourselves. Very important in church and church life and community life and fellowship life, if you will. There's a spirit of unity as you follow Christ Jesus. So our goal is to follow Christ. That's why we're here. We're following Christ so that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. I hope you have hope today. I hope and pray that you are full of the hope that you have in Christ. Not in yourselves, not in myself, not in ourselves, but what Christ has done for us. And in that hope, in the eternal life that you are living now, because you have eternal life, both now and when you pass in this life to the next, you and I should be full of joy and peace and love and patience and kindness and, if you will, the gifts of the Spirit in uh, Galatians 5, 23, 22 and 23. Okay? So, chapter 15, may the God of hope, verse 13, this is a great prayer for all of us, fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Can't say it any better than that. Just a fabulous, fabulous verse. Okay, so you're continuing to read on in chapter 15 with what God is doing, uh, what Paul is doing as a minister to the Gentiles, his plan to visit Rome in the second half of 15. As I said in Joshua, read slowly, think about where you are in relation to these scriptures in terms of what Paul, what the Holy Spirit is asking us through the letter of Paul, through the writing of Paul, which we now have as the Holy Scripture, what is the Lord asking of us? What is the Lord saying to us? So a really important aspect of Bible study is listening to God and praying and hearing what the Spirit says to us as you are reading. Finally, we go to Matthew, and Jesus is getting ready to die for us. Chapter 26, 36. 26, 36 is where we'll begin today. He's in Gethsemane. Very famous place. Been to Gethsemane. Very famous place where he's asking God to take his father to take this cup from him. Um, and he asked the disciples to pray with him, which they could not do. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And um, 
God does not want to take this cup from him, and he accepts it. He goes back and prays three times. He goes back to the disciples in verse 45. Are you still sleeping? The hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed in the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. I mean, just imagine being betrayed by one of your closest friends and then having to go through the agony of the cross, which all of you know about. This is what Jesus did for us. 26, 47 to 56 is his arrest. And then at the end of 56, then all the disciples deserted him and fled. So he's abandoned by everyone. Then he goes before the Sanhedrin at the end of 26, 57 following, goes to Caiaphas, the high priest, and they accuse him of blasphemy. Jesus says in verse 64, I say to all of you, in the future you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming in the clouds of heaven. That's exactly where he is right now. He's seated at the right hand of God. Remember when I talked about ascension and session several weeks ago? So he's literally seated at the right hand of the Father, and then he's going to come again, which is what we call the parousia, or the second coming of Christ. I'm sure you've heard of that. But the high priest tears his clothes and says he's spoken blasphemy. They spat in his face, they slapped him, and then, of course, sadly, at the end of 26, we have the Peter disowning him, and we have the rooster that crows, and Peter disowns him three times. Tragic, very tragic. And Peter goes out and weeps bitterly. Matthew 27, 1 through 10, and Matthew 27, 11 to 23, Judas hangs himself in the first section, and then Jesus appears before Pilate. Remember Caiaphas, the, the high priest that year, and then Pilate through verse 23. What crime has he committed? They cried, crucify him. And then we'll pick that up next week. But there's this tete-a-tete with Pilate and the leaders. And then Pilate, as all of you know, eventually succumbs to this. What are you thinking about as you're reading something like this? You have this triumphant Joshua uh, in the readings this week, and then you had the wonderful words uh, from uh, Romans 13, 14, and 15. They're going to uh, embolden our faith and, and give us more about the kingdom of God. But then you have this tragic situation where Jesus is dying for us. And obviously, the, the teaching here is this is what Christ went through for us, and we should be profoundly grateful for what he's done for us by taking on our sins. So on that very high note, I hope and pray that you have a wonderful week of reading and prayer and study, and I'll be with you next week to look at the scriptures from Proper 12. God bless you and have a wonderful week.